0: Welcome,
1: back. Welcome to Decision, Decision space, space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games.
0: And this is our exploratory conversation on games we've played the most. You know, Jake and I haven't decided yet if we're going to name this our top 10 each most played games, but we're going to just talk through our our top five most played physical games and our most played digital games each uh, to talk about what was compelling enough about these games and the decisions in them to keep us coming back. And part of the motivation here is we want to do a future conversation that's a full what we talk about episode on replayability. But we figured it'd be good to start uh, just exploring into the space a little bit here by Exploring our own personal use cases with replayability, what drew us to these games, and and why why maybe in my case I played over five hundred times for one of the games. Oops, (laughs) or I guess not. Oops. So long as I had fun, but that's a lot of plays.
1: That is a ton of plays. Yeah, I think maybe we could start out with like a little bit of like a meta analysis of our own list, just like without diving into the games. Just like, or if there's anything that jumps out to you about yours, and I'll do the same for mine. But before we do that, we should read a review because we have a really kind review that was sent in to us, was sent into Apple Podcasts. That's even better than being sent in to us, if I'm being yeah. honest, by Hokeybird. Uh, Brenda, do you want to read this one? I do. Okay. It's called A Great
0: Source of Analysis and... Dot, dot, dot. Uh, I love this podcast. As someone who loves board games and is infatuated with their design, this podcast offers a much needed avenue for true critique episodes dig much deeper than a simple is it good review and evaluate how a game works why it succeeds or doesn't and how the designers accomplish their goals Hokeybird, thank you so much for this five star review in apple Podcasts. we appreciate it so much and it helps with discovery of the show also i'm glad you appreciate our true
1: critiques i think uh for me i would probably give it a 10 out of 10 review i think it Heck was yeah. that good it was a great review same
0: 10 out of 10 <laughs> willing to read review anytime
1: yeah so if you want to help us continue to grow our podcast a great way to do it is to leave a review but let's leave that there and jump into our main topic a discussion of the games we've replayed the most
0: okay so jake you talked about wanting to have a meta conversation i feel like something we have to get out of the way at the very beginning is just the time constraints of games right There's a reason why neither of us have a game that takes over four hours to play on our list. Just like there's a certain thing about replayability in games that like the shorter a game is, the more likely I'm going to have played it a ton if it kind of hooks my brain. Which isn't to say necessarily that like if there's a really long game that I really loved, it might not eventually get here. But for me, most of the games on my list tend to be medium or lightweight games.
1: That's true for me, and it brings up an important point that this list might be different. I'm not sure how different it would be, honestly, but I was thinking about the number of times I've played a game, right, for replayability, which is technically different than, like, number of hours spent in a game, right? If you play A Feast for Odin four times, that's right, equivalent yeah. time that you could play, uh, I don't know, Can't Stop 25 times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so that would mean Can't Stop would be the game making this list and not A Feast for Odin. So I do think there's something to be said for longer games. Uh, You don't have to play them as much to get just as much enjoyment out of them. So I don't want people listening to this think like, "Okay, these guys hate longer games because I don't think that's what's going on here.
0: I don't think so either. But I think there is something interesting about Not all short games that I ever play, right, end up being games that I replay play a ton. So what is it about these short to medium weight games, even though I can, you know, experience a full play of them in maybe less than an hour? What about them makes me want to keep coming back to them maybe, say, four times rather than playing a game like A Feast for Odin? Uh, Not that I wouldn't play A Feast for Odin or enjoy it, but just like what specifically about these? But I I think you're right. That's not the that's not like make a false equivalency between like just because we play it a lot means it's better. I'm on the same page with you too. Do you think, I want to ask you, because I know Feast for Odin is one of your favorite games. Do you think that if you just looked at time played, it would compare equitably with some of these games on the list that you've played a lot? Or how does that work? Because something here too is like short games are easier to fit into your life, so you can replay them more often just by like function of like time constraints and not always being able to play games.
1: It's a good question. I think that it it might come up close. close to... Some of the games at the bottom of my okay physically most played games. So we, yeah. as you mentioned, we did our five most played digital games and our five most played physical games. Uh, and for me, I'm not a meticulous logger of plays yeah so with the digital games i can tell you exactly how many times i've played each of these games because it's logged for me on the platforms i'm playing them on but for physical games i had to i just made an educated guess like i looked at my shelf of games and thought i think these are the ones that i've played the most that makes sense to to include on this list like i haven't played uno the most but if I, i basically am not including things that i played like before 2015 when i first learn about the modern board game hobby
0: sure no that makes a ton of sense i think i'm very much in the same boat i kind of i used to log very meticulously and then i stopped completely because it i found it to just be deterring for my fun at the end of a session instead of talking about games i would just like go log games and be like okay and who won and how many points we have so i don't do that anymore but i know In some cases, the exact count and some physical plays. But then for the most part, it's kind of like looking at my collection. I know these are the games that I've played at least across the board here, 35 or more times for each of them. And some of them for physical plays getting up over 100. But we'll get to that
1: in a minute. The other thing, the last thing I wanted to say sort of from a meta analysis lens here. One thing that was just interesting to me when I put this list together is when I think about what are my favorite games or when Mm. some asks me which happens all the time and I n- never have a good answer for it but the games that come to mind are like midweight euro games often yeah, yeah. that I feel like those games really hit a nice sweet spot for me but those are definitely not the games in my physical collection that are being played the most often uh so it was just interesting to me the I where I am hitting those games and playing them a lot is in digital spaces where mm asynchronous play uh makes it fit into my life a lot easier and i find you know and i can really dive deep and get full rich enjoyment out of those decisions so that was just interesting to me that you know i what i think of as my favorite board games are primarily either being played online or only a handful of times on the table
0: yeah totally i think that's really interesting also I don't want to have this aside now, but I really want us to, at a future point in the show, talk about this conversation of the song of dance of like talking to people who don't play games all the time about your favorite game. So I'm like, where do I start? Like, okay, so there's this let's guy. Let's just named do it now. <laughs> Should we just do it now?
1: Yeah, let's do it okay. now. Okay,
0: because like sometimes I find myself like, if you get that, what's your favorite game question? It's so hard to contextualize it. I never, I never know what to do with that question, right? Like is someone asking, what's my favorite game, period? Or like, what's my favorite game that I like to introduce new people to? How nerdy do they want me to be?
1: And there should not be many more people who are like more qualified to answer that question than two people that have done 140 episodes of a board game podcast. And yet my mind still goes completely blank. I I know the answer I give the most is, uh, the castles of Burgundy Yeah, just because that's like such a comfort game for me. It's always hovering around my top five, top three games. I've played it a lot as it'll come up later on this list. So I, I tend to go there, but it's, it's an unsatisfying answer for me because I would. I wouldn't want them to go pick up Castles of Burgundy if they've yeah. never played a, you know, modern Euro style board game before, uh, and. They're like, okay, cool. Like, what's that about? And I'm like, and now I'm in like a horrible situation where I'm like, well, you've got like a a common supply of tiles, and you're taking those (laughs) and trying to add them to your personal player board so that you can fill up your own little (laughs) hexagon mat. And it's just like, you know, like people's eyes are glazing over. So this is why sometimes I just
0: say it's the resistance. It's like a little bit easier to like get the hooks of that game when I answer this question. I totally agree. Other times, when I answer Jake, I'll go oh, it's hard for me to pick a favorite game, but I could tell you about my favorite designer. And then I try to talk about Rainer Knizia and then people just look at me with really glazed eyes and they're like, what name did you just say? Over 700 board games? What are you talking about? So I don't know. This is a tough one. I guess I should just be like my favorite game is Babylonia or Tigris and Euphrates and just be, just go deep. You know? Yeah. If I go ask someone about fermentation and they want to talk to me about some obscure bacteria that ferments... Like, I, if I pose the question, I'm interested, right? Like, talk to me about koji. For those of you who who know about koji and koji fermentation. Like, if I'm going up to an enthusiast and I'm like, talk to me about fermentation, I, I ask for it. So, I guess I, let's go deep.
1: I think... I'm next time somebody asks me, I'm gonna say a feast for Odin only because then if they ask me what it's about, I can go with the theme. Yeah, yeah. you know, I can say like, oh, you're Vikings and you get to like go whale hunting and pillaging and like, you know, get artifacts and bring them back to your hut and all that.
0: That has a good okay. The hook there and the pitch is great because you can just say it's a Viking Tetris game.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it takes four hours to (laughs) play. Yeah, you you would absolutely hate it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I feel like this is a good aside. Thank you for having us do it now. Should we, let's get into our list.
1: Yeah, let's do it. So we're starting digital. Most played games digitally. And do you want to go back and forth or should we just read off our list? Ooh. Let's go back and forth. That's better, Let's go back and forth, yeah. All right, why don't you start with your honorable mention? I see you have an honorable mention here. Yeah,
0: okay. So before the show, Jake and I were talking and I realized that I have played a game that I didn't think I'd played more than a hundred times. So it bumped My City, my honorable mention, which I've played 84 times between digital and in-person play combined. Um, Wait, no, that's just digital. Oh, yeah, I've played My City 84 times digitally, and I've played it probably 30 times physically. So this deserved to be on the list somewhere. It's an honorable mention. My City is unique because it's a game intended to be played lots of times. It's a game literally designed to be a light legacy game so you can replay it a lot. Um, And then it also has the eternal mode, which Jake and I enjoy enough that we did a whole episode on it. And I think a huge part of why my city is just like, Eminently replayable is either in the legacy mode, the rules are always changing, which make, keeps the game fresh, right? It's not the same game, you play it twice, all 24 times you play it. It's a very similar game, but it's always different. Or in the eternal mode, just the variance in the way that tiles come out, given the structure of scoring, means that every game just feels so different. And the puzzle is just so solid and resolute and interesting and at some sort of basic level that it's just really fun. So I think, like, oh my gosh are we breaking new ground here by saying games with good variability are replayable i don't think so but in the case of my city that's a huge part of it you know
1: i was thrown off when i looked at my board game arena stats for most played game and it said i'd played like six games of my city because two of those were campaign (laughs) that's uh, that it logged as like a single one so i i've probably played it you know at least 40 times myself uh So it's definitely a replayable one. And that eternal mode is, is one I think I'll be coming back to on the table more than most, just because it's such a good entry point to the hobby. Yeah. Um, Okay. So my number five game is Bruges, the Stefan Feld game uh, about the city of Bruges, where you will be placing boats, placing canal pieces, getting bonus actions from boats, building houses, paying people to reside in your houses, uh, all kinds of things, just like in real life. Uh, But it's one of the Feld's absolute best, in my opinion. Amazing use of multi-use cards and a puzzle that I just keep coming back to over and over again. Uh, I think the thing that I love most about this game and what makes it so replayable to me is just how dynamic any play of the game is. I've talked about this a lot when I've talked about this game, but your band of scoring is huge based on the randomness in the game, but you can still play well and, you know, just because of the way the dice come out, maybe low numbers come out a ton, um you can you can win this game and play well and score 40 points or you can win this game and play well and score 126. Um and I think that makes it exciting because you just never know kind of what's going to happen when you start a game of Bruges.
0: Yeah, Bruges has a lot in common with my number five most played digital game, which is Star Realms, which I've played over a hundred times just in preparation for our, our episode uh, show and had probably played it more than 200 times before like many years ago, um, which is that they're both highly tactical games, right? Star Realms and Bruges are games where you you can go in with a sense of a sense of if this strategic path presents itself, it's a good one to take. But in both the games, very different systems, you're presented with sort of options to build your strategy, uh, and then have to tactically go into what the best path that you can find. And I think part of what makes Star Realms really fun is there's certain strategies I want to pursue when presented with the opportunity, but you're always kind of mix and matching, trying to put together the best deck possible, given the card market that's there, given the cards you started with and what your opponent's doing, in a way that's really endlessly fun, where you're kind of always pursuing the perfect deck, uh, but can never just like strategically decide, oh, I'm going to go and playing playing green. I'm going to play a blob strategy. Like that just won't work. Um, so a huge part of what makes that fun is it's just, it feels really fresh every time you go back and play. Star Realms also is really quick. Uh, so that helps too.
1: Okay, how much of the replayability of Star Realms to you is that it has a really great app implementation that like logs your victories and successes Yeah, and you can rank up?
0: Okay, I think in the Star Realms case, that made a moderate impact and a game later in my list. It is far and away what made that the case, but it has to do with Board Game Arena. But I, I'm really glad you brought that up, Jake, because I do think you and I both, to varying degrees, have probably played these games in part in a digital space because of the meta incentives of ranking up in a game, which just feels good. So I yeah. think it's, it's not nothing for
1: sure. That's a Yeah, that's a good point. And even though Bruges doesn't have that same type of ranking yeah it is a game that's offered to play free online on yukata one of the best online platforms for playing games alongside board game arena Uh, and that has sort of a meta ranking up system which i think is incredibly addicting personally Uh, in one of the coolest uh, sort of ranking systems so instead of just leveling up in one game um like exists in board game arena you can kind of like gain more proficiencies with the game or if you play the arena league uh you can you know get higher ranks on yukata everything is global so to go up from one rank to the next there's a bunch of different requirements you need to tick off so one might be uh you have to win a certain number of games You know, when you're level one, you just have to win one different game. But by the time you're, you know, level 15 to rank up, you'll have to win 16 different games and best a certain number of opponents uh, and uh, have ELO over a certain point in a certain number of games. So it forces you to go wide, playing winning at 16 different board games and deep, becoming like proficient in certain ones as well. Uh, so I think that's awesome how it like incentivizes both ends of the hobby. And it's been really fun uh, challenging myself to rank up. I
0: mean, your digital list reads as like my your favorite games on Yukata, I think for a reason.
1: Yeah. So that was yeah. going to segue into my next one, which is Hey, That's My Fish, a game I have played 70 times uh, and one that I'm always queuing up whenever I you know rank up to a new level because I know I can get wins in it. Uh, relatively you know it it doesn't take too long that's a huge selling point for it Um, and I'm, I'm not like the best at it but if I play five of if I just queue up five games of hey that's my fish I feel pretty confident I'm gonna win one uh, but anyway, Hey, That's My Fish uh, is an ep- a podcast is a game that we've also had a podcast episode about, just like Bruges and Star Realm. So that's another, uh, maybe a meta trend we're noticing that uh, games that we had an episode on and prepared for are yeah. showing up on these digital lists. Um, but it's a game, uh, an area control game where you have penguin figures on a board of hexagon tiles uh, that have fish on them. And whenever you land on a tile, you take it off the board and add it to your personal supply of fish. And it's possible to cut off your opponents and leave them uh, isolated on a small iceberg and while you scoop up all the rest of the fish. So it's a very satisfying, very confrontational uh, area control game that I absolutely love. And it's also perfect for digital play because it's a, just an absolute pain in the ass to set up that hex board on the table for a game that then it's like the quintessential game that takes as long to set up as it does to play yeah
0: but it's really fun when you're making the decisions yeah it's
1: really fun to play yeah
0: okay so my next my number four most played digital game is the uh lost runs of arnak this is a game that i've played 117 times on board game arena um so is an interesting one this for me is one of the heavier games on my list it's a midweight euro game that's very tactical in nature because this is another deck building game uh though some people might kind of turn their nose up at that but i think Arnak's a deck building game it's just not sort of in the classic dominion style mold it definitely uh, so has deck
1: building elements. elements
0: yep and the tools that you're amassing follows a similar deck building sort of uh trope of there's a market out there, you're pulling cards from that market into your deck to use for later. I think for me, a huge part of why Arnak was so replayable is that I felt the learning curve really immediately. Like I felt like the more I played it, the better I was getting in a really satisfying way. And I think something about a lot of the games on my list Um, or something that I want to talk about with replayability is that I think a huge incentive for me to replay games is feeling like I'm getting better at them the more I play. I think that's true of a lot of games, but if I can play games quickly-ish and also get better at them fairly quickly, like if there's a a nice learning curve, right? It's not too steep. It's not like Go, which I found to be really difficult to learn, a really steep punishing learning curve. I think Arnak was just, just right. So after around 100 games, I felt like I really understood the system. It's not too complex. There's enough little heuristics in the game that you can kind of pick up on things. But I felt like my investment in time, I was learning and getting better and better. So I wanted to keep playing and keep getting better until I kind of leveled off and felt like, okay, I kind of have mastery of as much as I want to put in the effort in the system. Any more learning beyond this point, I'd probably have to study and invest more time than I want. Uh, to like really overanalyze the cards, overanalyze everything that's going on in a way that would take the fun out of it a little bit. Uh, but I think that that's a huge part of it is replayable game for games for me are games where the learning curve is just the right slope where I have an incentive to keep learning. It's not uh, too too steep where it takes so much effort to get better or too what's the steep, Jake, Totally, totally blanking mellow okay mellow great <laughs> <laughs> it's not too mellow of a slope where I play it twice and I feel like okay I, I've grok this game right like there's not much of a learning curve in a game like tic-tac-toe so it's not that real play
1: I feel like you're actually like attacking me for the next game on my list but <laughs> 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 this is um, a whole
0: different genre <laughs> of replayability I think
1: yeah but I think one of the interesting things here for me I'm curious how this tries on for you for Arnak is that it was a game when I first played it I was like huh this is fun but is it good mm. and then I played it a little bit more and, and thought I'm still having fun I'm still not sure how good this game is yeah. and then I played it a little bit more and I thought this game must be good because I'm still playing it and, <laughs> and still having, having, fun. having fun you know where it, I don't know do you think there's anything to that with the replayability where if the game just hits you with all cylinders at the very start and and is amazing. Sometimes I might feel as though that was great, but I've got the whole experience. Yeah. That's really interesting.
0: Yeah. Like chasing the high of a good play over and over again. Like if it just starts so amazing, like maybe that's just enough and you're going to walk away. Is that kind of what you're getting at?
1: Sometimes you hear people say things like it, the game went on too long because I achieved everything that I wanted to achieve. So it didn't leave me wanting more. Yeah. Do you think the same thing can be true of a game that's not necessarily that you uh, were able to accomplish everything or not, but is just the perfect play has already been achieved? You know, I'm never going to recreate that.
0: I think so. But it's so interesting that you mentioned this with Arnak because Arnak has this whole system, right? Where you move up this. uh, It's essentially like a scoring a complex scoring track on the right side. That's this temple track. It's obligated that you move up, but depending on how well you navigate it and how efficient you are with your resources, you can unlock these like extra special tiles at the very end that are gold. And a couple plays, just only a couple in my 117 plays, have I gotten two of those tiles in one play? And I think a huge part of why I wanted to keep replaying was sort of doing that early on and thinking, how can I do that again? Right. And I think (laughs) you have a similar thing sometimes with Castles of Burgundy, where it's like, what, how close can I really get to a perfect play?
1: Yeah, like you want
0: to play the perfect game.
1: Yeah, well, I should probably jump over to my next game on my list. Uh, Another very light game on Yukata that I've used to rank up, but also (laughs) I've played a ton because I think it's genuinely very fun. And it's actually my favorite push your luck game, Claim It. Brendan, we played Claim It together once, right? I think a I got you times to play it with me. What yeah. did you think of Claim It?
0: I thought it was sort of silly, but fun. It's kind of like can't stop, but you add an extra dimension of spatial element. And for a game with like spatial elements, sometimes your agency doesn't feel quite as high. But you sometimes have these like amazing push your luck turns that are just so fun. So I think that I totally understand why this is one of your most replayed games, especially push a games are just good in digital you some like they go faster, you can just push a button and see the outcome, you don't have to like pick up and roll dice, think through all of your options, they're easier to see. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I think claim it's fun. I think claim it's another where it's sort of like seeing what could happen and watching that borne out in the play of it is just fun because the bell curve of bad and good turns is so fully expressed in the play.
1: Can't stop with a spatial element is exactly what it is. For those who don't know, you roll three dice and two, you will place on the edge of a grid, so the X-axis and the Y-axis, and where those two over-intersect each other, uh, you can place your own marker and claim that area of the board. But you can only do that if you have a marker available with the value of the third dice that you've rolled. So if you ever cannot do that you bust and have to pick up all the markers that you've claimed this turn if you have your dice intersect on a marker that is already yours that you own then you can top it off with a black claim it token and that's permanent as long as you don't uh, bust this round and then that'll be never come off the board and then you just score biggest contiguous area at the end of the game so very light very silly fun push your luck game uh that i think fits perfectly in with what you're saying of games that uh well it may, it, for me this game is definitely light definitely random but there's enough skill development there you can never you know be so much better at this game than somebody else that you're going to win even 55 percent of the time probably yeah. but you can still improve and just like push against this really small margin to be better uh but it's interesting to me how without actually you know increasing your your overall win percent is that much there's a ton of ability to improve within the smallest like links of this skill chain if that yep. makes sense
0: totally and i think that's so interesting because the next game on my list is Tigris and Euphrates a game I've played more than 123 times digitally and on the table even more? Uh, but Tigris is totally different, right? Because it's one where the skill ladder is so high that like the better player wins m- significantly more than a weaker player at the table. Like um, among four players, I think more often than not the best player will win like probably 70% of the time, you know? Uh, Oh yeah, for sure. Maybe even more. It's a very skill testing game. Yeah. Yeah, This is one where there's a lot of, a lot of uh, variance because you're drawing a hand of tiles that are going to dictate the moves that you can take or the strategic paths that you can take. So there's lots of, uh, skill in sort of learning how to play your hand, learning how to observe the table and figure out what other people's objectives are and how you're going to try to manipulate the shape of the board to get there. Tigris is one where the learning curve is somewhat steep and somewhat long, but it, the decision space is just so big and so open. There's so many tactics that you can learn, uh, so many different strategic sort of, uh, st- st- I don't want to say like, it's not just like set strategies, but sort of like strategic um
1: it's It's chess like in a way yeah right you kind of and that's what i was going to ask you for this one is is part of the replayability in learning different openings and ways to counter them as in chess obviously an extremely replayable game to millions of people yeah does this have that makes it replayable to you
0: I think, I think the openings are a huge part of it now that I think of it more. It's really fun to be able to play the game more and understand and think through, okay, given the board state after opening, everyone sort of opened in this way, how should I approach how aggressive I want to be based on my first tile draws, how defensive I need to be, when is my moment to sort of push? Um, you have these really important tiles that are catastrophe tiles that let you meaningfully reshape the board, but you only have two of them. So it's this like, very agency increasing mechanism because you can use them rarely, but they'll impact the board really greatly. That ends up being really skill testing. Um, I th- I think that's for sure a part of it, Jake. Another huge part of it is it just feels really good to win. I think Tigris in Euphrates is a game I I like to play where um there's two versions you can play with uh hidden scoring or revealed scoring. Uh I really like it with hidden scoring. It makes the reveal at the end very fun. So there's just a lot of tension all the way throughout the game. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever get tired of it. There's something that is just like endlessly interesting about it to me. And I feel like I'm just constantly getting better. Like I feel like if I played Tigress 500 more times, I would be significantly better than I am now. In fact, I can't believe I'm not playing a game right now on Board Game Arena. I need to go start one.
1: Brendan has been in the over 100 plays this entire list, but I'm only getting there now with my second most played digital game, the castles of Burgundy at 144 plays. We already talked about this game earlier in the podcast, but I think part of the thing that makes this game replayable to me uh, is that it's a very comforting game to me. I know Mm. it so well. I have such well-defined heuristics that I can just play this game and I'll, I'll, in some ways, you know, not even think and just have have a really good time. Of course, there are still interesting decisions uh, that that make it fun, that make me stop and consider and think. Wow, I don't know if I've seen this exact situation before. But I also think the bigger part of it, quite honestly, is is the emotional aspect of this game being. One of the first ones that really hooked me in, with Eurogames. Period. Um, I, you know, when I'm playing this, I it's easy to think back to being in that apartment with the friends I sort of discovered this hobby with and the, just those like really happy times and I can still tap into a piece of that through this game and I think that's part of the reason I always want to go back to it and play it d- both digitally and on the table
0: I think another huge part if I can observe from the outside of someone who's watched your relationship with castles of are grow over the course of the past few years too is that uh you're really good at the game and I think there's a lot of joy in doing something that you're good at and just being good at it like I there's are certain meals that I'm good at cooking and I like to cook them because it's fun to be like, this is a tough thing to cook. I just nailed it. It feels good to nail something I'm that I'm good at and have gotten good at. And I think for me, watching you play castles a little bit, there's like, yeah, I, I just don't. Like, you know, like there's something to like, I've invested time and now I get to like bear out the fruits of my efforts and like watch myself do something cool because I've put in the time.
1: I think you're right about that. And it's nice in a game like Castles of Burgundy, as I'm sure it is in a game like Tigris and Euphrates, in that it's a game that a lot of people play mm. and a lot of people care about. Right. Yeah. So it's you'll always be able to find people who are also really good, good at the game yeah. to like match wits with. And that's part of the thing that makes it fun. It's not just dunking on inexperienced newbies, but you know, there's a ton of really good players in our Discord uh that sometimes i win sometimes i don't but playing against them is a really enjoyable experience
0: yeah totally okay should we well no we shouldn't do it well my number four most played game is jake's and my number one yeah yeah should we just do it together yeah okay so i've played this game 138 times
1: and i played 185 times and it's a game that came out just this year did we cover it on the show some people already know probably what we're talking about uh probably our game of the year challengers yeah
0: we i feel like we've talked almost ad nauseum about challengers on the show at this point Um, i've seen it
1: like externally like on Reddit. some people were discussing challengers and like the decisions based podcast loves this game oh really that's awesome yeah like
0: if we've hit reddit shores yeah clearly we've talked about it a lot the, the thing about Challengers that's this has a little bit of what we talked about with Star Realms, right? Like the thing that makes Challengers endlessly replayable is the mix and matchability of how tactical it is and how many different strategic paths there are. You're always taking these like strategic tool pieces, these little combo pieces or whatever, and putting them together in new ways and and angling for certain options, really playing to your outs. It's also a game that you can get better at significantly, significantly quickly. But then keep getting better at the more you invest yeah, time in, right? It so, has
1: both. Like you get yeah. really good fast, and then once you've hit the point that you're like a good, competent player at the game, it's difficult to like continue to improve your win rate that much but it has that claim it thing where you're still improving in like yeah. smaller and smaller ways but it kind of doesn't matter that it's smaller because like just be like okay i just got like a tiny bit better uh it still feels just as good
0: and challengers 100 has the joy of that you experience of like playing claim it and having one of those like bombastic amazing turns where it's like how did this just happen my luck is so good because in challengers sometimes you just open a bonkers combo and you just like roll over the whole game and it feels amazing. And there's something really fun about playing games that play somewhat quickly when sometimes you just open a juicy, disgusting deck or juicy, disgusting combos and you get to experience it and play. Like there's something really empowering about that. That's fun.
1: It's, I feel like challengers is hitting a ton of the things we've talked about in the other games, yeah. right? It has like a really satisfying, uh, learning curve. skill arc learning curve. Yeah. Uh, it's, Has it makes you kind of hunt for that perfect deck, right? And those like moments where you just like achieve something great, you want to like keep going back to try to try to hit that. Uh, it's a a relatively fast game that, if I'm being honest, probably plays. It's really fun to play in person, but the fact that you can play it in 20 minutes on a digital implementation makes it maybe even best there. Or you know, I don't know. Not probably my my best experiences with challengers has still been playing in person, but you know, it's just amazing to play online because of like how much it gets all the administrative burden of dealing out cards, shuffling cards out of your way, um and yeah. So I mean, maybe it's not a big surprise that it's been so replayable to us beyond loving the game because it does hit all of these other boxes we've been talking about.
0: Yep. And interestingly, Jake, for me, okay, Star Realms has drafting, more or less. You're drafting from an open Tableau. Arnek has drafting. Challengers has drafting. And then my number one most played game, digitally, is a drafting game that I played 726 times on Board Game Arena. Oh, it's Seven Wonders. This is, okay, so Seven Wonders, I think is a, the more I've played it, which I guess I can say, since I've played it 726 times, is a good game. It's fine. It's pretty good. I like it a lot, I think. no, uh, It's pretty good. But I think the thing about Seven Wonders and why I've played it 726 times is because it's fast. It's a game you can play in under 10 minutes on Board Game Arena. It's also, drafting games are just fun for what i just talked about like there are times where you just pop off in a way that's really exciting chasing those those sort of edge case tail outcomes are fun it's also a game with a somewhat like a good learning curve you can get better at seven wonders as you learn the card pool you can make more meaningful decisions and this is a game where no doubt chasing ranking on board game arena made me play it more because for a (laughs) while i was like i'm gonna try to get over 400 elo or whatever and i got sort of way too into it being like i'm gonna grind and really play so i think i can push myself there and then would like got there then fell back did the whole thing but i like seven wonders i think it's relaxing in a way that uh, a lot of games aren't because it's somewhat solitary. You're doing a little bit of trading. You're you're looking at your direct neighbors for potential conflicts. You have to look at other people's cards because you're drafting from a shared pool. But for the most part, it's not too inter- interactive. This is one, Jake, that's just like a comfort game at this point for me where I don't. It's kind of like Castles of Burgundy for you where I don't have to think about it too much. I can kind of see what happens. I think though, now that I've played it 726 times, I've played it enough at this point. I'd rather play something else. It's
1: fascinating to me that this is the only game in this list that we haven't covered on the podcast. I know. If I had played a game that many times, I would be demanding, you know. <laughs> and and also, interestingly, I've never played it even once.
0: Oh, really? So yeah. This is Seven Wonders was probably my third or fourth sort of modern board game that I bought too. So I think that contributed to it. I played it a lot back then and it was one where I was like always trying to get my friends to play it, but it was a little bit of an extra step for them. Though if I brought Keyflower or this which literally used to happen, everyone would be like, oh, seven wonders. Keep that box away from us. So I did get some plays of it. Um, But I think when I found it... It's flower,
1: good for something. (laughs) I mean, good for me. But
0: um, I think when I found it on Board Game Arena, it was also, I was just excited to be able to play it a ton and explore it in a way that I felt like I didn't always get to do on the table because it's a little sluggish on the table. I think
1: also maybe it's just, maybe it's not too much to say that for us, at least drafting and card drafting is a mechanism that offers when done well Endless offers replayability. more replayability than yeah. other mechanisms yeah
0: it's just, well exactly like you have the dice drafting of castles of burgundy you like there's,
1: there's draft yeah there, there's it's kind of drafting right we are taking the tiles
0: yeah sorry yeah i guess it's not really drafting in in castles
1: i mean it's an edge case like there you're definitely trying to get tiles but i don't think it fits in it in the same way of like cards and combos what about in bruges no, it's not either. There's no drive to Bruges, right? No, I think it's just like, I think for these two games, it's just yeah. like really great mechanisms and particularly for asynchronous play. Yeah. It, you can't really beat the one turn puzzle offered yeah. by Castle Burgundy and Bruges.
0: Yeah. I think, I think you're totally, totally right. But That's, anyway, yeah.
1: So those are our digital games and we should move on to our physical games and then maybe we'll have time for some closing thoughts so i think it's my turn since you were just talking about seven wonders and i'm going to start with again these are not necessarily in the correct order um but one game that makes my list i put it at number five is king domino Mm. i think that this is a incredible entry point to the board gaming hobby it's one i often break out to show people uh because it's so quick plays great on the table it's easy to get people onboarded into and understand what's going on right away it's also one that allows people to kind of have an aha moment during the game about why it's so clever um and so for all those reasons it's an excellent gateway game yeah. and it's one that i've introduced to tons of people at this point and i just still really enjoy playing it it's one i like playing online um it's i think it's great at a two-player mode in the mighty duel but my favorite way is to play it at at three or four player in the traditional way and just have a blast
0: yeah another one we've done an episode on amazing i probably
1: played it like but for me and this i've probably played it like 15 times on the table okay so that's sort of like where my in-person uh plays are it's much less across the board than digital ones which isn't surprising but really i don't tend to go as this is another meta thing i think i don't go as deep as you typically um in games but i wonder if like i have more like medium depth games like i'm just curious i don't know if this is true or not if i maybe have more like 10 30 to, to 60 played games online or like 10 to 15 yeah. played games in person
0: i think that's right i tend to find what i like and then i go really hard on yeah it. Yeah, yeah and then bounce off other things so one game that i didn't bounce off of is the Fox in the Forest. This is a trick-taking game that I played with my wife Maya a ton. We've probably played this game well over 50 times. Uh it's also it's easy to take with you. Uh like we used to take this just to restaurants and stuff and play it while we were waiting for food. Uh we this is another game that we didn't episode on very early, and one that you I think the learning curve is really is really nice on because you're meta learning how to manage your hand, to play with these different powers that come out, but also learning the how to juggle between do I want to be winning tricks or losing tricks, which is really rewarding. I think the other thing about The Fox and the Forest is it's just like with trick-taking games, it kind of has the similar thing of being hyper tactical in terms of your delta hand and then you have to figure out how to get out of it in the same way when you're playing a drafting game, your delta hand and you have to figure out how to get out of it more or less, right? Like get the best path out of it. Both these sort of genres kind of dip their toes into that space
1: yeah i put fox in the forest on my list too as number four and for similar reasons as king domino um this was one that i played a ton with my wife which is kind of rare for me we don't tend to play games together that often um but this was a two-player game that we did uh kind of get into a pattern of playing a lot Uh, eventually it fell out of favor with us so i wouldn't say it's kind of one of my favorite games in the same way as it is for you though i do think it's an incredible. i think it's like a game where it's like you can't fault the design it's like a perfect design it is a perfect design um but i just don't know that it worked works as well for me um but it's still one i've played a ton and makes this list i've probably played about 20 times
0: okay i have two quick caveats one listeners don't know this but i just reordered my list and i think i want to make it clear jake that i didn't do that to preempt you i just wanted to get it in the actual order of most played because i moved fox the force to the bottom so i didn't do that so i could just talk about it first so i got to get that off my chest and then number two is caveat for me i'm not including ramen ramen enchanted plumes or unrest in my list those are games of my own design uh so i've played all of those games easily over 200 times I think Enchanted Plumes, I've probably played over 500 times. Uh, I don't want to venture a guess about the other two and be wrong. Uh, But I I just, I didn't feel like I should include those here. I think playtesting games is kind of a different beast. Uh, So I didn't want to include them, but I've played those games probably more than any other games in my entire life on the table, which is, I think, how it should probably be. Okay, my next game is Babylonia. So Tigers and Freddy's, I've played a ton in digital Babylonia has a really good two-player version that makes it easier to get to the table for me uh, in a physical play than a game like Tigers and Euphrates. I love both these games. They're really different. Maya and I, my wife, got really into Babylonia together last year and played it probably 40 to 50 times between the two of us and then also playing with other people. This is another one where there's an episode on the show where we discuss Babylonia, but in this instance, the Wii is not jake and i but maya and i babylonia is fun you have a hand of tiles it's different every time the cities and the incentives are always shifting so like literally the fun of replaying babylonia for me is that it the variability is just so good like there's no other way to put it it's just great
1: number three for me is a game that is replayable by demand okay it's a game that I had to unburden myself from owning because it was the only thing my friends ever wanted to play when they came (laughs) over and it's monikers, a very silly party game uh, where you have to guess cards that your opponents will be either uh, giving clues about verbally in the second round, one word clue. And in the third round, Third round charades for uh where it really feels like you're creating an inside joke with your friends in the short time it takes to play the game. Monikers is awesome. It's a really fun game. I probably played it 25, 30 times. Um, and I still enjoy playing it, but I enjoy being the person requesting the game went over somewhere else, as opposed to uh have you ever had that where like a game becomes so popular? with friends and that they even like it more than you. And then you have to say just like done bringing yeah, this out. Definitely. Yeah. yeah.
0: But in this case, I love, so I don't play monikers. I play celebrity. And I think if I had a physical thing around, I would have remembered to put it on my list because I've also played this game a million times.
1: Yeah. It's, in, it's interesting because I I'm finding that for my most played games on the table, it's not necessarily my favorite games in all cases. Yeah. Um But nevertheless a credit to them that they made me get it to the table or my friends forced me to get stable um, by being such a big hit there i think code names and wavelength more and more are, are starting to kind of fall into this category too uh, which is to say awesome games but I just don't think I can have like the capacity to play like one party game like a hundred times. Like I just need to like, I need to change it up and and do something else. So totally that's kind of code names, then monikers. And now it's sort of like wavelengths time at the moment.
0: That's awesome. That's a huge part of just the difference with physical games, right? Is because you're limited by the people you have, the time that you have, the space that you have. So I think that's why you're sort of, we're having this like, Oh, this isn't one of my favorite games, but it's one of the easiest to get to the table. So that's why it's on my list or, yeah, groups it becomes the lowest common denominator that makes everyone happy so we play it a lot right great point
1: mm-hmm.
0: um for me the next game on my list is one that shockingly we don't talk about on the show that much um and it's dominion so i my and i got super into dominion before the fox in the forest and babylonia we bought the base game played it a ton then bought the hinterlands expansion which is not one people talk about a lot in sort of the top echelon of expansions but it's one that i just sort of researched found and loved we both really enjoy it uh so i think probably we've played dominion a hundred times uh i haven't played dominion mine i haven't played dominion in probably five years uh it it hit us hard and fast and and deep and i think we've kind of gotten our fix and now we've moved on to other things uh but dominion's another one where it's just like the variability is so great these are always playing with different card pools it's a deck building game so the variance of what comes out and chasing that perfect play is there. Dominion is just great. It, no one's shocked that Dominion's on my replay, most replayed games list, I don't think, just because this is one of those games where like people have bought every expansion that's in existence, have 5,000 cards, and it's kind of their lifestyle.
1: Though less so lately. Though I think Dominion continues to put out new content that does yeah, well, right? People buy it. Yeah, yeah, there's like new stuff still coming out. Do you think it's worth getting into dominion today i'm asking for a friend let's say i have a friend who's only played dominion once in his life and had a good time with it do you think that this individual who will go nameless to protect their privacy uh (laughs) would enjoy a deep dive into dominion in 2023
0: interestingly if i had a friend whose name rhymed with lake who had only played dominion once would i recommend they explore it? yes i think so i think yes i don't know for sure that oh, gosh this is toughy
1: i think so yes, dropping in- the annoying charade charade i I, th- I think i have a little bit of like halifax hammer thing going on in my head where oh. like i hear like okay dominion like big money strategy oh, no 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 no, no
0: that's don't worry about that it's not it's not as bad as it seems like it is i think that you would dig it but i think one interesting thing about dominion right is it like came out it did deck building it made deck building so you've experienced so much of the novelty of dominion that i think made it so fun for me and maya back when we played it a hundred times across two things like you've seen the magic trick it's still a really good game but a lot of the magic might not be there because like the magic trick was so good that every everyone just spent you know subsequent 15 years emulating it
1: but i do like a stagnant pool of cards for my deck builders more than like a dynamic row of cards
0: i think if you if i was gonna if you were gonna try dominion you should but you should not start with the base dominion i don't think the cards yeah, are go, a little more simple i,
1: yeah, would, I would go with like, like little, an expansion there's a there's a way to play it online right like a I Dominion games or something
0: yeah okay let's Maybe put that on the back burner i okay. think it might be
1: it might be yeah okay i'll talk to my friend okay that sounds good. back talk to, to, to you <laughs> yeah, yeah let me know let me know what he thinks okay back to me uh, the, the game I have as my number two most played it's maybe a really closer to three or four, but it is one that I've spent a lot more time with, and that's Arkham Horror, the living card game. Um, so I've played the base game campaign, which is three scenarios, at least two or three times. And then I have the whole second cycle, the Dunwich Legacy, and I've done that once with a group of friends one solo and then i started another campaign i think i've probably played somewhere in the realm of 20 games of arkham horror lcg um and the i think this is going to become kind of like a theme for me as i get to the top of this list which we're at now uh i think one of the things that makes arkham horror lcg if you're not familiar it's a cooperative deck construction game uh where you're playing out episodes of a evolving and unfolding story. I think one of the things that makes it really replayable is that there's a lot to consider and think about when you're not playing the game. Like you can spend time trying to think about cool and interesting combos. Uh, There's a whole system of gaining experience that allows you to upgrade your deck at the end of each uh, episode. And that's huge for replayability because you get the new cool card in your deck, the new combo that you just added. And it makes you want to play the next scenario to see how that works out. And on top of that, you want to see how the story is going to unfold, uh, especially if it's your first time going through the story. It's an incredibly well done game. Uh, And the last thing that I would say makes it replayable is that it's a game that I find to be quite fun solo. It hasn't been an I haven't been able to get like the energy to get it to the table lately just because it is incredibly onerous for me without like an expensive storage solution to like kind of go through everything, put together the, the encounter deck and the stuff that I need to actually play the game and get it all set up. Uh, But it's one I always think about, you know uh, when I, have some free time. It's like I could either do Arkham Horror, I could like go outside and play some disc golf. And I, you know, I almost never pick Arkham Horror, but I think maybe this winter, as it starts getting a little bit darker, earlier, a little less pleasant outside, I'll have time to uh, finish my ongoing scenario uh, and maybe even pick up some new stuff. That's kind of my goal. It's an awesome game uh, and one that I want to go back to more than I actually end up getting it to the table uh, for various reasons.
0: I think that that's sort of theory crafting, metagaming, not metagaming in the way that people normally say metagaming, but metagaming in the like, there we can talk about the game and the meta of the game it is a huge part of why we both got so into Challengers too. Like picking apart the puzzle of that game together was a lot of fun and a huge part of that was, and with our decision space community too, and just thinking through, through yeah. how the game could play out, I think is a huge part of the appeal it and felt- Dominion has that too.
1: It felt just to, to peel back the curtain. It felt so fun in challengers too, because it felt like we were a little bit ahead of the curve yeah. with our like brain trust. We had some of like the number one and two ranked people on BGA in there, and we were just kind of like really theory crafting, screenshotting our decks, screenshotting different decisions we were making. Uh, so that felt really fun to kind of be on like the inside of of uh, the development of the competitive meta, which has now gone way past me um but yeah yeah, that was cool
0: um (laughs) cool lasted yeah yeah, totally for me the next game so is the resistance the resistance is one of my most played games ever by far it's just a game that hit on a community aspect for me in a different way than challengers not because we were trying to like unpack the game and level up together but just because kind of similar to moniker's view became a game that i with certain game groups, just became a comfort game that we would play. Whenever we had five, there's not a lot of other games that I would rather play than The Resistance uh, necessarily that play somewhat quickly. It's easy to play a couple times in one sitting and also is a game that I think kind of rewards it. You want a chance to play as The Resistance. You want a chance to play as the spy maybe depending on your personality and it's fun to just i don't know kind of like iterate and riff and play the first game also oftentimes if there's new players kind of ends up being a learning ish game so you can get a sense for like how does the flow of this game work so then i find i'm almost always playing at least twice because if we put in the time to learn and have a learning game we might as well play play for real quote unquote um the resistance never gets bored because it's about trying to understand your friends and Lie to your friends, which is an interesting thing to explore. Um, and betrayal and sadness and also joy when you make it when you make it work. We might cover it on the show one day. I don't know. Resistance is awesome. Yeah. Is another it is. one? It's like the Fox and the Force. In my mind, it's like a perfect game. So it's it, easy to play.
1: It could easily have been on my list too. I I wouldn't be surprised if if it is in my top five. It's probably right on the edge of of any of these games. Yeah. Because I've had a night or two. Of playing resistance like five times yeah uh and that so that gets up there pretty quickly yeah it's a it's a great game uh and i always say this it's sort of my uh i feel like it's like the board game that will like teach you the most important lesson about life you know i feel like it should be like part of our like education system like play this game then you'll know what it's like to be like accused of a crime yeah totally (laughs) Um, so my number one, like I did a cheat here. I did KeyForge slash magic, the gathering, the two games that I've played, uh, in like competitive tournament settings on the table. Um, the fact that I've done that for these games, uh, means that I've played a ton of games of practice on the table. I've done a ton of theory crafting between games, uh, which makes me then want to go test out those theories so that's a huge element of like top end on the table replayability for me i don't typically want to do this for the games that i play right like theorycraft try and like break the game and like understand it better than my opponent because i only would want to do that if there is an established competitive scene of other like-minded people doing doing the same the same thing you know it would not be fun if i you know, whatever random Euro game we were playing at game night, if I, you know, tried to learn all the strategies ahead of time so I could like beat my group, like I wouldn't do that. Um, But for the select few games that have inspired me to participate at a competitive level, of course, those ones are going to be among the games that I've played the most. And uh so it's been Key Forge more for me since I kind of discovered this hobby. But Magic Gathering is another game that it's definitely the game I've played the most on the table throughout my life uh, and one that I still play uh, maybe a dozen games of or so a year, maybe a little less than that, maybe like six to eight games a year, but that still That's all, that adds, adds up, up and makes it at the top of my list.
0: Okay. So Keyforge was exempted from my list as we gathering. Jake and I always I, love the I go a bit different way on this. It would be on my list too. I've played Keyforge over a thousand times for sure. Easily.
1: A, dang like, that's enchanted in, plumes numbers
0: yeah well it, if only enchanted plumes had a digital adapt, adaptation, <laughs> it'd be up there um but my number one most played physical game of all time is Cascadia. Cascadia is one of the only games that I have ever played through the entire score sheet of. This is a game, another one we did an episode on, uh, that my wife, my and I just got super into at the right time in our life when we had a lot of time. We were both on family leave after having uh, our baby, uh, and we played it a ton. It's another drafting game. In, In this instance, it's an entwined drafting game where you're drafting Uh, one of an animal tile and a terrain tile at the same time, or an animal token and a terrain tile. Uh, So those are overlaid in an interesting way that keeps the decisions really fresh. It's another one where... Sometimes you'll just have a perfect game come together and you'll you'll push to these new heights that you continue on to try to go back to and chase. And you do get better at it the more you play, but it's fairly limited in terms of the banding that the points allow, which I think for me makes it exciting when a game gets really, when you have a really great game, but you can still sort of punch back and and improve at the game alongside who you're playing with. I like it most at two. I think it drags a little bit at three and four. So again, we just found the perfect place to play it. Uh, I find the puzzle really fun and rewarding. It tends to be a little bit more puzzly than a lot of games Uh, I often play, but that works well for a game that I want to play quickly, kind of heads down uh, with my partner. So yeah, that's Cascadia, another game we did an episode on. Yeah, awesome.
1: It's interesting how, getting into the closing thoughts here, it's interesting how games we played on the table, like external circumstances are so huge. huge I mean, that's... It sounds obvious now, but it wasn't really <laughs> something I thought about when I was putting my list together. Right, I just kind of looked at myself and thought, which of these have I played the most? Yeah. And now talking about, it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> because you know, for you, like being on parental leave at yeah. the time that Cascadia came out and was hot, and then you just played it, went crazy. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. played it and played it and played it. I think that's a really good idea. That explains why you love it so much, is the sleep deprivation. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh.
0: (laughs) I think it's really interesting. You know, we cover... A huge part of what we do on the show is trying to go really deep in games, so we end up trying to play them at least a fair number of times, and digital makes that possible. And I think this is one of the first episodes we've done, Jake, where we kind of reflect on the differences between digital and physical play in terms of the way... Like why we're drawn to different games in different contexts in those two contexts, in kind of a like fun rewarding way, and I think for me, this question of like what which games are ultimately more replayable is kind of a tough it's tough. It kind of depends on the context like you're saying
1: i honestly for me, when one lesson that I'm learning is yeah. replayability of a game matters a lot more if it's a game that I want to play digitally, then one on Mm, the table. Yeah. Like you're happy to have
0: one or two amazing plays on the table and have that be your experience of the game.
1: That, yeah. And and that might be a game that I'm still happy to own because maybe I'll go back to it someday and enjoy it. Or, you know, just once every couple of years or something like that. And that's kind of okay for me. I think another kind of important piece of the puzzle is like, When I first started playing board games, I had fewer games and I played those games more. You know, it'd be difficult, I think, for me, barring like external circumstances changing for a new game to come out and all of a sudden be one of my most played at the table just because of the way I enjoy games. So that's something I should really think about and consider when buying a new game. Is it worth buying this to play it? Once or once or twice, and have a really good time with it.
0: Totally, and this is also a bias we should be aware of when we're covering games on the show. In terms of knowing about ourselves, that we tend to like games that have more replayability when we play them digitally. To just that's something that's good for us to be aware of as we're like playing and exploring games and factoring them into how we think of. In some ways, it's kind of like the hook of the show. Like let's replay a game a bunch and see see what see we if learn. It's good. Yeah. yeah, but uh, but I think nonetheless, it's Well, like, and
1: of course, lots of other people play games differently. Right. I think course. a lot of people in our discord primarily are playing games over and over on the table. And that's awesome. I, yeah. I love that for them. <laughs> totally. Well, um, I
0: think this is a really good exploratory conversation.
1: Yeah, it's Kinda so g- interesting yeah. kind of having the juxtaposition of digital and physical games in the same episode. So I think really good concept, Brendan. I oh, think This thank was you. an interesting conversation.
0: And I'm still really interested in the potential for what we talk about about replayability. So if you wonderful listener would like to share your thoughts on replayability with us and if you've learned anything from our conversation, come into our discord at decisionspacepodcast.com You can find a link to it or you can find a link to it in the show notes. Discord is just like a chat room in your browser. Come and tell us what you think of this episode and what you think about replayability, what you learned and maybe yeah. we can mine it into a future what we talk about
1: on it can't wait to see everyone's most played games as well that'll yes. be i think really interesting uh just to know about the people that we're chatting with in discord all the time totally. so please do share those and until next week we should thank hembry for our intro and outro song reach out and we'll catch you next week bye y'all bye